welcome to DevCast, brought to you by Devril Smith, the right people. DevCast is where property meets people, industry figures, news and views, what it takes to be your best. So sit back, earphones on, and enjoy this edition of DevCast. Welcome to our latest edition of DevCast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Ryan Fix. Ryan is the co-founder and global ambassador of CoLive, a global community and think tank for the co-living sector. Ryan was one of the early pioneers of co-living, setting up his first scheme in Brooklyn over a decade ago. He has since consulted with some of the world's leading co-living operators and is a partner in a number of upcoming schemes across Europe, the US and Asia. Ryan, thank you very much for joining me. How are you? How are things? Uh, thank you so much for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I'm doing great. Have last uh, few months been for you? I know you are uh, in a slightly more remote paradise than some of us. Talk to me about the last few months for you. Uh, well, I certainly feel like I've been uh, blessed to have landed here in Bali during this uh, very uh, precarious time. Um, you know, the, the conversation of COVID is really just non-existent here. So it really just feels like life, uh, life is normal. And, um, and so it's been, it's been really wonderful to also have a little bit more quiet time to, to kind of think about where we are right now and where we're going. Fantastic. I'm very jealous, but uh, well, no doubt we're going to talk a lot about the, the co-living scene and how it's uh, you know, growing around the world at the moment. But first, I thought it'd be great to start with, with your story, uh, you know, how you've got to where you've got to. And we'd love to hear more about your time back in New York and, and how you came to become a, one of the early pioneers of the, of the co-living space. So we'd love to hear uh, your, your background. Sure. Um, I'll keep it as concise as possible. So. Um, one of uh, one of my greatest passions has always been helping uh, entrepreneurs uh, become more successful, and uh, and so over the years, what I recognized is that uh, is that I was a bottleneck in a way. I was one person trying to help a lot of different people, and I started to get curious about what would it be like to bring people together into a space uh, where they could support one another. Uh, and create a nurturing environment for their ideas to uh, to grow wings, and so that kind of put me at the forefront of the uh, the co-working movement uh, in the early 2000s, uh, setting up uh, my own space and then a, and then helping others set up theirs, and then I started to notice that uh, a lot of the most exciting uh, collaborations and conversations weren't happening during work hours, but were actually happening around the dinner table or when people were just, you know, having fun. And, um, and so I decided to, uh, to do a little experiment and turn my apartment into uh, a communal living space. And I started to curate a bunch of entrepreneurs uh, to live there in a nurturing environment. And, um, and then a couple years later, it had grown to 65 people. We had taken over most of the building. And, um, and then the New York Times uh, contacted us 
through a friend and asked if they could do a story on what we were doing. It ended up on the front page of the real estate section on Sunday, which uh, is quite a big deal. And it was the first time that co-living was used uh, as a term in mainstream media. And so that kind of created a groundswell of interest from other publications uh, to write stories about what we and some others around the world were doing. And, um, and so then it became very clear that this was a movement. And I had been at the front end of the co-working movement. And so that's what inspired me to set up what became CoLive, which is now considered the industry association for co-living. And the genesis was that, you know, we were operating this now referred to as co-living venture. And then we had all these other co-living uh, entrepreneurs that were contacting us to set up locations and wanting our advice. And we just didn't have the capacity to support them. And that's why we set up CoLive. Um, which is now um, this kind of knowledge sharing entity that supports the co-living movement, uh, or now I guess we would refer to as sector. So that's a little bit about my background. Sure, sure. And, and, and when was this? When, when were you on the front page of the New York Times? How many years ago is that now? Uh, that was in 2014. Okay. And then we set up, and then we set up uh, co-live. Actually, in the beginning, it was uh, Pure House Lab. So Pure House was the name of the co-living project in Brooklyn. And then Pure House Lab was this nonprofit arm. But once it grew uh, into this large size, um, we decided to rebrand as CoLive uh, and really make it clear that it was a separate entity and not just a nonprofit arm of a for-profit co-living venture. Um, and, uh, and then I came here to, uh, to Bali in 2018 to write a book about uh, human connection and how to foster nurturing community, um, which is a topic that I'm really interested in. Sure. And taking you back then to the, the original you know, co-living space and, and thinking now about what we're seeing around the world, purpose-built 500-unit schemes. But I imagine you had the same challenges. You know, what kind of challenges did you face getting set up and what, what do you feel now, uh, the mistakes that you've learned from and, and what do you feel now uh, co-living? How, how has it evolved since those early days? Mm, yeah. Uh, so I guess what I noticed early on was that um, I was in part driven by um, a desire to live in nurturing community myself uh, and also wanting to support uh, others. Um, and so I knew how to set up the space and, and what I thought was that I was creating a nurturing environment. What I didn't realize is that I didn't have experience in, in fostering nurturing community and, and healthy connections between people. And I completely underestimated the amount of time and energy that is required in that, uh, in that process and the importance of it. I mean, the whole value proposition around co-living is primarily in the, uh, the communal experience and the collaborative opportunities between people, which, um, which require some level of facilitation. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think that was one of the big learnings and one of the challenges that I've experienced is that 
Um, when you're a small co-living community, uh, just in terms of the amount of revenue that can be generated, it becomes challenging to be able to afford the uh, support staff to create that really um, rich hospitality experience because you're hosting people, you're creating a nurturing place for them to live. Um, and then when you get really big, uh, it, uh, you face an another, another set of challenges because you, uh, you get forced to focus on trying to fill a bunch of beds essentially. And then the efforts tend to focus around sales and marketing. Um, and arguably the thing that's going to keep people in a co-living community is the experience. And, and so if, uh, if we're able to focus on the actual experience, that will attract people uh, to want to stay, um, whereas the marketing and sales will get people there, but they may not stay. Um, and so this is the challenge I've seen around, around scale. Um, and I think that it's a solvable problem, but it requires some, you know, some education, deep thinking, um, specifically around the, uh, the investment community that's looking at co-living as a sector. Because I also believe that the, that the core value uh, of co-living is in the connection. And so it's not in the accommodation. I think the accommodation piece is a healthy business in itself, but it's the, it's the ecosystem of services that create the revenue rich environment that is what makes co-living really exciting. Sure, sure. So if you're, if you're in a private equity house, an investor, and you're looking at multifamily or you're looking at co-living, you're looking at two very, very different asset classes in, in, in what you're saying there. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, as I said, I do think that the accommodation piece can be, can be a healthy business because ultimately you are, uh, packing more people into, uh, into a space um, because you have smaller living space, private space and more common space and that nets out to be uh, a positive. Um, so I do think that it becomes a tr more attractive from a real estate, through a real estate lens. But I think that the most exciting pieces are the other revenue streams that arise when you create a really nurturing community that has trust in the brand because when they have trust in the brand they're going to want to engage in all these other services whether it's education uh food and beverage uh or a number of other kind of ancillary services um and so uh co-living i think is you know needs to look beyond just the real estate piece and think about these other revenue streams Sure, sure. That's interesting because I've spoken to lots and lots of people over the last six months and there's very different takes on co-living. Some people feel that COVID has come along and with social distancing and everything that, um, you know, as a model, it, it could suffer. And you speak to another group of people who say, well, actually, with isolation and, and, and you know, the people have felt over the last six months, actually, it's going to thrive. What are your thoughts on that and, and the long-term viability, given what we've seen over the last six or seven months with, 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 the, with the pandemic? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess I, I guess I'll uh, I'll start by saying that I uh, have have felt for a very long time that 
co-living as a template or model for living uh, will become a primary template and will be adapted and applied to many different, uh, many different uh, sectors. So whether that's senior living or uh, student accommodation or even you know, the, you know, the urban sprawl and the neighborhoods that you see across America and just kind of rethinking what a neighborhood really is um, and, and you know, looking through the lens of a co-living template. So I do think that it is going to be, become a primary template. But in the time of COVID, I mean, even pre-COVID, we were seeing a, a rapid rise in uh, a, let's say, a craving for a community and what's being referred to as a epidemic of loneliness that is, um, that is kind of spanning the planet. And this has fueled the rise of the co-living movement and with COVID, that's only accelerating. People are craving community and connection even more, but they're going to become more and more discerning about those people that they want to uh, live in community with. I think another thing that, uh, that we're going to see with co-living and that really differentiates it from other forms of communal living is that it is a model that allows for people to have the privacy of their own home, but within a nurturing community that offers them a suite of services and amenities and experiences all centered around the home, the private home. And, um, and when the co-living enterprise really puts a lot of intention into the curation process, then I know who my neighbors are. I know what the protocols are. Um, I think what makes co-living also very different than other forms of communal living is that it is a business and it is, look, it is looked through the lens of a business. And so you have a level of professionalism and accountability there that creates a really, has the potential to create a really well-oiled uh, organization that is putting a lot of thought into, you know, cleanliness, safety, you know, um, all the things that people are, are uh, more attentive to uh, due to COVID. Sure, sure. And I think, you know, if you also think about, you know, someone living in New York City and paying, you know, two and a half thousand, three thousand dollars a month for, for a studio, and what are they getting for that? And like we're saying, um, you're getting a lot more value for your money in terms of service and experience with, with co-living. So uh, as prices continue to rise on, on the rental front, co-living has got a, a great opportunity to offer people a, a lower cost and better service, um, you know, for, for their rental. Absolutely. But you talk a lot about community and, you know, it, it, it's something that you, you can't necessarily create. You know, I talk a lot about business culture. It's not something you can just say, right, this is our culture. And day one, that's how it's going to happen. How, how do you, you foster community? Um, and, and, and what have you learned from your, your journey over the last decade as to some of the do's and don'ts and, and some best practice around you know, creating that sense of community within a, a, a co-living uh, building? Mm, that's my favorite conversation. Um, I absolutely agree with you. Um, community is, uh, is this amorphous organism that uh, doesn't have boundaries and cannot be controlled. It cannot be created. It can only be nurtured. And oftentimes, it's, uh, it's something, I, sh I mean, one would argue all the time, it's something that is, uh, that is um, birthed from the, you know, from the individuals themselves. 
Um, and so when you look at uh, how communities tend to arise in the world, they, they tend to arise either around location, people that live in proximity to one another, or around an interest. Um, and, so, um, and so it really, when, when, when we think about co-living, it really comes down to design. How do you create the circumstances for community to arise, nurturing community to arise? And so uh, I look at it through uh, kind of like three, uh, three lenses. Um, and the first is around the curation. What is, what is that thing that's going to bring people together? Uh, what's that shared mission? What's the, you know, what's the, what, what's the glue? Um, so that's the first piece. The second is the integration or the onboarding or the arrival journey. How do people, how do people come into that community or that experience so that they, so that they feel welcome, so that they feel like they belong there? so that they feel like uh, they can be themselves and they can interact with one another. Uh, and then the third piece is the experience design itself. What are the experiences? What are the, you know, what are the behaviors, the rituals? What is the culture that uh, creates that connective tissue between people? Um, and then uh, inside of that piece, I think that there's a lot of things that uh, co-living operators can do to allow for nurturing communities. So, uh, so for example, um, you know the you know the creation of events, um, the um, uh, the focus on kind of well-being um, when you when you offer a community a number of different services and experiences that focus on their well-being. Um, and they feel that their basic needs are being met for, um, they're going to have the space uh, and the capacity to be able to nurture those connections with their community members on their own. So it's really about creating that nurturing environment for them uh, to do what they already want to do, which is connect with other people. Um, so... Cool. I know that's a big idea, but, and it, and it always gets manifested differently based upon, you know, the community and the experience. Um, but yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, there's the functional stuff, you know, if, if the building's well-maintained and, and clean and in good quality, people are going to be happier in their lives and they're going to be much more open to engaging and with, with what's going on around them, you know, but you have the basics have to be done right first before you can then add the bells and whistles on top. Absolutely. And also, I guess I, I would say, uh, also looking through the lens of hospitality, the art of hosting, you know, I, when you, when you go to a great hotel, um, what oftentimes separates it from any other hotel experience is the hospitality. And so I think that co-living would do really well to focus on the hospitality experience and learn from the hospitality industry. Um, and, and how to apply some of those qualities. Sure. And in, in terms of technology, I mean, um, there are very different types of co-living building. There are buildings that, again, 500 units. They have a team of on-site staff. Some are part of a portfolio. They might only be five or 10 units. How, how can a, 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 a portfolio like that leverage technology to offer that kind of service um, when maybe there isn't the on-site uh, personnel to deliver it firsthand? That's another big question. Um, so 
fortunately nowadays we have access to so many technological solutions that can be applied to uh, to the co-living space. Um, and these are free and openly available solutions um, for connecting members, for allowing members to, uh, to communicate when their needs are not being met. Um, smart home technology that allows us to potentially know when, uh, when other members are in different parts of the building that we might want to connect with them or to be able to uh, reduce uh, electric, electricity costs by, by knowing when people are or not in a room. So, I mean, there's so many uh, tools that exist out there for free that when we int integrate them into co-living, we can create a better experience. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a rabbit hole that uh, I love to go down because when we, when we use technology in an appropriate manner, it actually facilitates way more connection and a much better experience for people. And, uh, and I've seen some operators uh, do this really, really well, not generally in the co-living space because it's, it's so nascent, but when you look at other sectors, um, like specifically office buildings, like, uh, you know, there's this office building in Amsterdam called The Edge that's just using technology in the most incredible way. Um, so yeah, there are lots of models out there to look at. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to think the impact that technology, you know, can have on an industry like co-living without a doubt. Um, and we've had a few good chats recently about the future of living. I know you, you actually wrote a, a great article around the, the future of, of living and, you know, co-living is a very nascent sector and, you know, we both agree it's going to be a, a massive part of uh, the way that people live in the future. What, what are you seeing right now as the biggest trends? Uh, what innovations have happened you know, recently that you think are really setting the tone for the, the future of living? Mm, wow. Um, there, okay, so there's a couple that I'm really excited about. But what I'm also noticing is, you know, in this time of challenge, I'm just seeing like massive spikes in innovation in so many different areas. So what I'm gonna share is stuff that, you know, we're already seeing, but I think we're gonna to start to see um, more and more massive spikes in innovation, which will be uh, applied to co-living. Um, but uh, in terms of, um, in terms of, let's see here. So we're seeing, first of all, um, a, a major uh, shift in all different property sectors um, because of COVID. So, um, so now, you know, office is really having to rethink itself, uh, retail as well, as more and more people uh, can work remotely um, and have services pulled to their homes. Um, and so what I think we're going to see is we're going to see a merging of all different asset classes, um, all kind of centered around the home. So we're going to see a lot more multi-use properties. I think we're going to see a massive price adjustment, um, specifically in, uh, in urban areas, um, because more and more people are going to uh, not want to live in cities unless it's attractive. So we're going to need to invest heavily in culture 
um, to attract people to want to live in cities. And, uh, and then also we're going to uh, see, I think we're going to see a massive price adjustment um, to make it more uh, desirable to live in, in those cities. Um, and then, uh, and then I think we're already seeing major innovations in uh, construction of homes, 3D printing, using recycled materials um, that's going to allow for us to design uh, housing templates that uh, make more sense for the changing human needs. I think we're going to see a lot of innovation around mobility. We're already seeing like new, you know, like drone travel is starting to you know pick up we're starting to see new types of aircrafts that are being developed um, that are going to reduce costs um, we're going to have to see a lot of innovation in just moving people around the planet because of you know fears of viruses um, and uh, and so i think that's all really really exciting but it's going to lead to a more uh, global remote workforce that can really work and live anywhere. Oh, and then a whole nother area is around kind of uh, mobile technology around, uh, you know, supporting people working from home, um, but within teams around the world, more efficiency there. Um, and, uh, and then also um, advances in, um, in 5G and just, uh, satellite internet where we'll have internet high-speed internet access on every corner of the planet within you know the next five to ten years so that's just a whole slew of innovations that I think are just going to rapidly uh, enhance the co-living model sure and, and I mean in most cities in the world you know uh, originally from London live in New York and you know, affordability we mentioned that earlier is, is a big thing and do you think co-living has the the, the ability to really help tackle the, the, the affordable housing crisis that we, we have in our big cities. I absolutely do. Uh, but I think that there's going to need to be uh, some major cooperation from uh, municipalities themselves. I think that they're going to need to adapt quicker. They're gonna need to shift policy and regulation in a way more agile way. And I think that the best way for them to do that is to create these, uh, what I like to call safe havens, these, uh, these special zones where uh, co-living operators or shared living operators can create innovative models that might fit outside of regulation um, and then kind of track and monitor their success uh, so that they can evolve uh, regulation uh, and create more incentives for developers themselves to develop these kinds of models. Um, so I think it's gonna require a lot of collabor collaboration with local government um, in order for the full potential of co-living as affordable housing to emerge. It should be more affordable, but unfortunately it, it for the most part hasn't been yet. And I think that the reason is because we haven't had proper uh, government support. Sure. And do you think that as, as Colican becomes its own asset class and gets recognized more and more by private investment, that, that it will be on the forefront and that you know, local government will, will see that as a, as a viable option, um, you know, the, the more and more it becomes to the forefront? 
Yeah, actually, you mentioned London. So, you know, London was the first city in the world to create a specific designation for co-living. Um, and, so, um, and so it's already happening and more and more cities will follow suit. Uh, I think that most of the exciting uh, innovation around co-living is happening in zones or parts of the world where there isn't as much regulation for this exact reason. Sure, sure. And you have a global outlook, you know, through your, your, your role with CoLive. Who's doing it the best at the moment? You know, what, what, what cities, what countries in the world are really taking this on uh, and, and are really, you know, the pioneers at the forefront of this, you know, next wave of, of co-living development and operation? Ah, um, I would say, I would say the Nordics. Uh, Denmark specifically. Um, why is that? I mean, why, why do you think that's a, is it where the society is set up? Why, why would you say Denmark is ahead of other places? Yeah, so uh, the living communities, this is the term that's the, the, that uh, refers to communal living uh, in, the, in the, the north of Europe. Um, and these living communities are such a deep part of the Nordic culture. Um, and, uh, and so this is why places like Denmark are considered by, by many uh, one of the best places for people to live. Um, there is a natural orientation towards uh, thinking about maximizing value for the commons. Um, if you look just at um, the commitments uh, that Denmark has made to become completely carbon neutral by 2050. Um, the, you know, the DNA of that, uh, of that uh, drive is about um, thinking about, you know, its, its citizens and creating a quality uh, living environment for them. And so there's just a natural orientation. Um, and then when you think of Nordic design, um, how they build urban planning, it's all oriented around this. And so it just, it becomes not only um, just part of their way of life and their thinking, but also the regulatory environment there is uh, very, very supportive of these kinds of models, which is why I'm really excited about projects in the Nordics. Um, uh, but, you know, for the most part, I haven't seen um, a lot of, co-living operators do this really well. And, uh, and I think that there's a handful of reasons why, but I think the biggest is that, you know, the entrepreneurs um, that, are, that are driven to create communal living environments oftentimes have the, the skill sets and the qualities to build the projects and to create these uh, beautiful co-living buildings, um, but then oftentimes struggle with the skill sets to create those nurturing communities, and then oftentimes struggle with accessing the, uh, the, the financial resources to invest in that experience because there's always so much pressure on, on low, reducing costs and, um, and oftentimes the money goes into marketing and sales and not into the communal experience. Um, but I do think that those that might stand the best in the future will come from the hospitality ex sector itself. Like as the hotel industry gets hit by things like COVID, 
they're going to look at longer term stays and they're going to be able to shift into this space and create a much better experience because they're already oriented in that way. Sure. And there's some unbelievable talent out there right now who, through no fault of their own due to the, the pandemic, uh, are looking at what's their next move. And um, you know, anybody who's been in the hospitality space, you know, should look at co-living and, and really look at it as an opportunity to take the best of what they have from hospitality and apply it to a slightly different setting. Absolutely. Huge, huge opportunity for people. So what's next for, for you, Ryan? What, what, what's in the pipeline? What's, uh, you know, what's next for you? Um, well, so I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm facilitating uh, a number of different co-living ventures uh, across the globe. And um, I am super excited about this globalized uh, remote workforce. And I think that it's going to have such a massive shift on how we live as a global society. It's gonna create uh, a lot more opportunities to, uh, to raise the quality of life for people all around the world because it's gonna create more cross-cultural collaborations because we're gonna have people that, you know, we're living in London or Los Angeles or New York that can now live in places like Bali or, you know, in remote places across Africa um, and the rest of the world, so I think it's gonna it's going to um, it's gonna create a lot of a lot of exciting benefits for people in general, just in terms of their overall lifestyle. I'm really excited about creating um, creating uh, living uh, hubs that bring together all different uh, all different aspects of our life within a nurturing environment. And so what's next is, is, uh, is starting to innovate in those different types of uh, neighborhood models, village models um, in different places around the world and work with visionary teams to bring those kinds of projects together. Sure. And, and, and with CoLive, you know, if people are interested to learn more about the space, uh, you know, what, what can CoLive offer them in terms of support and, and insights into the space? Yeah, uh, so a lot of different things. Um, so uh, we have an ambassador network um, that, splant, that spans the globe. Uh, and, so, um, and so we have local events and meetups um, and, and these groups that can, can really uh, focus on local, local challenges and opportunities. Uh, a global conference um, and then, uh, and then we have a number of different uh, online educational uh, opportunities around topics of um, community building and community facilitation, as well as uh, conversations like webcasts around how to survive in COVID times as a co-living business. So it's mostly a knowledge a knowledge exchange network. Um, and so, uh, and so people can, uh, can check out our website and, um, and become a member and, uh, and then we have, uh, like an online community as well and a bunch of different forums. Um, so it's quite a robust, uh, network that's all around helping the co-living sector thrive. Yeah, fantastic. I, I know it's been, a, it's been a great resource and, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, if people are interested to learn more, you should definitely check out uh, CoLive and uh, speak to Ryan and, and his colleagues because 
Uh, they've got a huge amount of, of data points and insight into the space that I'm sure would be valuable or useful for, for anybody who's uh, interested in, in this, uh, you know, in getting into this world. So, well, Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for, for taking the time. Um, and really looking forward to, you know, hearing more about you know, your, your story and your journey as it continues. And uh, it's an exciting space and, and you certainly seem to be at the forefront of it. So uh, I wish you all the very best. Thank you so much for the time and the opportunity to talk about this topic. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. Great stuff. Take care. All the best. All right. Talk soon. You can join the DS movement by visiting ds.devrelsmith.com and you will receive the latest Deadcast episode direct to your inbox.